I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Almost Famous, the podcast where I meet other people with famous family members and discuss how that has affected their journeys through life. My guest today is comedian, feminist campaigner and podcaster Grace Campbell. You know, I always think about this. If I, in 10 years, met Jacob Rees-Mogg's kid, I wouldn't be nice to them. Grace has appeared on Channel 4 prank show Riot Girls and earlier this year performed her debut solo show at the Edinburgh Festival called Why I'm Never Going Into Politics. Could you tell me who David Cameron's Alistair Campbell was? She is also co-founder of The Pink Protest, a community and platform for female activism that she started with writers Scarlett Curtis, Honey Ross and illustrator Alice Skinner. They are responsible for the hashtag free periods campaign to end period poverty in the UK and organise a protest on Downing Street which changed the law. This year, the government announced a plan to provide free menstrual products in secondary schools and colleges in England. Grace is daughter of journalist, broadcaster, author and former Downing Street press secretary Alistair Campbell. Well, my dad was like... I mean, non-stop. He was just absolutely non-stop. More recently, Alistair has taken up roles as editor-at-large of The New European and chief interviewer for GQ magazine, as well as co-hosting a podcast called Football, Feminism and Everything in Between with our very own guest and his daughter, Grace. Hello, Grace. Hello. First that was of, a really good introduction. Well, I was going to say, first of Thank all, you. do you think your dad would be happy with that intro? That's, that's the kind of the first question I like to go with. Would he accept exactly the depth with which I didn't go... Um, into him. Into him, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you literally could have just been like, and her father is Grace Campbell's father, Alistair Campbell, because that's really what he's known for now. That's absolutely right. So that's the acceptable <laughs> intro that you would have written for your dad. No, people actually like in politics, because I did this thing where I called in my dad when he was um, hosting on LBC and like, yeah. told him about how he's not a feminist. And now when I like meet people and I say that he's my dad, they're like, oh, are you the daughter? I'm like, yeah. With the voice. For anyone out there listening, <laughs> I, I suggest they look up that uh, that little phone call that you made into LBC because you had a you had a right go at him, really. I did, yeah. Can you remember some of the stuff? I, it was three things. He still calls women birds, which he actually no longer does now he, since that phone call. I think he claimed that he hasn't hadn't done for a while. That's just because he's trying to deny. <laughs> it's a fo- it's, he's obsessed with football, and it's quite a when he's around his football mates in Burnley. It's definitely a word that he uses in his vocabulary. Um, he does nothing around the home uh, and uses the excuse of not being able to do anything mm-hmm. as as an excuse to not do anything. And he gets uh, grossed out when I talk about my periods. Okay. And uh, just to go back to the birds one, because I think that's quite an interesting one. You said you think he doesn't, you feel confident he doesn't call women birds anymore. Do you think he doesn't in front of you or he doesn't at all, including with his mates down the pub? 
Um, I think he doesn't because he got quite publicly shamed right. on it. So I think that's quite an effective way yeah. to get someone to stop because then if, you know, someone heard him saying it, they'd be like, come on, you know. Even his, even his mates down the pub? I mean, he actually hates pubs, my dad, but his his friends at, at Burnley, which right. is the, the team he supports, um, maybe. I mean, it's interesting. We interviewed Sean Dyche, the mm-hmm. Burnley manager on our podcast, and he definitely uses the word buzz. I mean, he used it in front of me, and I wasn't going to call him out on it because he's not my dad. <laughs> so. Okay, so that that's where the line is. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it's one of those things, birds. It's not like... It's not hurting anyone that mm. that's being used as a word. It's not causing any damage to the world. But I do think that it's a sort of degrading way to describe women. Yeah. They're not birds. Yeah. Um, I think I saw you, you said to him, they don't fly. Yeah. They're they women, don't they don't fly, they're yeah, not birds. Yeah, I wish I could fly. Oh, R. Kelly. Yeah. Uh, that's a totally that's separate separate subject, <laughs> absolutely not to go he into at this point. Um, okay, so the, the kind of the secondary, the, the second first question that I, I ask all of our guests is, uh, how did you feel when you asked, were asked to come on this podcast? The reason we asked that is because what we've found <clears> when approaching people for it is that it's quite a sticky subject. People who had uh, either famous parents or famous siblings often don't want to talk about it when trying to get involved in a career in a, either a similar industry or in the public eye. I sense, because of uh, obviously what we talked about already and your Edinburgh show, you're quite different to that and kind of embrace it and I'm intrigued to, to hear. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, there's so much actually to say on this, but the first thing to say is that I have never, ever, ever been like ashamed of who I am. And I know that my dad's a very divisive figure Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of people in this country who have an opinion on him, whether or not they like him, that's not what I'm saying, but there are a lot of people who have an opinion on him, right? He's one of those people that's sort of been quite a big figure for a long time in sort of politics and popular culture. But I was never going to sort of shy away from that. A, because I was never going into politics, says the title of my Edinburgh show. So I wasn't trying to be my dad ever. And also I'm a girl, so I think it's different when you're the son of a prolific man like that because you are being much more compared to them, Mm -hmm. whereas I was never compared to my dad. I've never compared myself to my dad. I've always looked up to him and thought he's pretty impressive. You know, there are things that he's done that I would disagree with. But so, So that's one thing. And then also on top of that, it's like as a comic you're talking about your experiences. And thus far, it's the biggest experience of my life, you know. It it has been the defining thing of me. I was born the month my dad started working for Tony Blair. They won their first election on my third birthday. Both my parents worked full-time at Downing Street my whole childhood because my mum was Cherie Blair's special advisor. So it's, you know, in the same way that, like, another comedian would talk about their childhood. That is my childhood. So I've taken my experiences and written about them um, in my comedy. But it's not to say I'm then hoping to always be Alice Campbell's daughter. I'm hoping to one day just be Grace Campbell. And I think I'll get there. Um, That's just... And for him, like you said at the start, for him to be Grace Campbell's dad. Well, to a lot of of sort of 18-year-old feminists who know me through the pink protest, that is who he is because they don't really know who he is as much as, like, you know, older generations do. And do you think he's... That's a really interesting point, actually, because... um, my stepdad, who's a, a comedy actor, Angus Deaton, and certainly a lot of peers of his, 
uh, I think they really struggle now with the fact that people under 25 don't really know who they are and they're kind of quite often constantly chasing that um, you know, still getting on TV, still trying to do things, no matter what it is, to make that happen. Do, yeah, you get any, do you get any sense from your dad at all that he cares about that? He doesn't strike me as someone who really gives a shit. I don't. That. I don't think he cares about that. I think he finds it interesting. Mm-hmm. So I think he he is definitely surprised when. So for example, when I was previewing my show in London, I had a bit about Malcolm Tucker, mm-hmm. right? Who's supposedly based on my dad, the character from the show The Thick of It. Mm-hmm. When I was doing it here, most of the people coming to my previews were young women who follow me because of the pink protests or whatever or from Instagram. They didn't know who Malcolm Tucker was. They weren't getting it. So I dropped it. And then I got up to Edinburgh and then like two shows in, someone came up to me afterwards and was like, why haven't you got Malcolm Tucker in the show? And I realised up there, perfect crowd. When I did the Malcolm Tucker bit up there, they all knew who it was. They mm-hmm. all got it because they were slightly older because that's the people that were coming to my show in Edinburgh, I think, because of who my dad is, because they were coming, because that was the sort of pull. And was that even before, because you you got quite a lot of press in Edinburgh, all of which was kind of at least based, started with or based on the fact that you were Alistair's daughter. But you got the sense that that crowd was different, even just not because of that. They just a a different flavour of crowd in Edinburgh. I think you you get get a different flavour of crowd Mm. in Edinburgh for sure. Um, A lot of the people that come to my shows here, I wouldn't say have ever been to the Edinburgh Fringe because sure. it's a certain like thing that people do and I actually think like for example I'm from a family who like has never been to the Fringe so I never went there my whole childhood the first time I went was last year for a weekend and I was like okay cool I want to do a show here but I wasn't like raised in a family where it was like something that we did go and watch shows at the Fringe or even go and see live comedy so I think it's it's not you know a really normal experience to go up to the Fringe and I think then on top of that my show was at 3.15 which attracted like people who wanted to go to a show that was quite early. Mm -hmm. It was about a a person who's the child of someone that they know Mm -hmm. and that they want to hear about, who's also, at the moment, quite relevant because of what he's doing on Brexit. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, they were quite shocked when they sat down and I just spoke about my vagina for a long time. At least for the first two shows and then added in some Malcolm Tucker as well. Then added in some Malcolm Tucker. Um, We'll go back to Malcolm Tucker because... Obviously, as you said, everyone wants to know a little bit. Um, But just going back to that first question on something you said, um, you said uh, in in answer to me saying, you know, do you have any, did you have any issue with uh, being Alistair's daughter when getting into comedy, etc.? You said, I'm not ashamed. I've never felt ashamed. Do you think in terms of, let's say, other comedians or other uh, people in broadcasting or potential people for this show, do you get the sense from people who have famous parents or famous siblings that there is an element of shame to it or, or more an element of they don't want to be immediately known as that as that uh, because of that yeah I, re- I really do and I understand it completely and I think it's all circumstantial like because the way that me and my dad's relationship is it's great like we've always had an amazing relationship he's always been my biggest champion I've always been his biggest fan so if for that, I've never felt any kind of feelings towards him. Um, and so I've never been, like, angry at him for being the person that he is because yep. it's what's it's defined a lot of me. So has my mum, for sure. Um, and she's a big part of the show that I've just been doing in Edinburgh. But so, the, yeah, but then I think not everyone has that set up with their parent who's prolific. Some people, like, have that set up, but then they're slightly estranged from their parents who maybe have a new family now or you know what I mean there's a lot more that Mm -hmm. goes into that and also because my dad's in politics our personal lives wasn't probed as much as I would say kids of like 
famous celebrities yeah, are. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's one of those things I'm never, ever going to complain about it because mm. I'm incredibly lucky yeah. and I've benefited a lot from having this setup that I have and, you know, it's, I'm very privileged. Um, it's, really lo- it's really lovely to hear how positively you talk about I mean, I mean, take away from the fact who your dad is and and your mum actually, but actually, I think it's quite rare to hear people talk quite so positively about their parents, especially often comedians as well, who I think are often, you know, just trying to find the cynical side of yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I think that's really that comes across really well. Yeah, kind of surprised me a bit actually. Well, I mean, I really have. I need to start talking about my parents. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel totally. I'm the one who now feels ashamed the way that I talk about my parents. I just. I have, you know, we get on very well and they've, they've, my parents have supported me so much, like, in terms of being like, you know, they've come to see my show, which is at points quite uncomfortable, I I imagine, for them. Mm -hmm. And they're like so proud, so happy. They couldn't be happier for me. And I mean, yeah, I, I really respect what both of them have done. Um, They've inspired me to be someone who's like yeah I'm gonna change the law I'm gonna do this outside of my day job like we need to all care about the world um I mean that what you you're talking about them coming to see your show actually links in something we talked about in the other room as well which is uh, something I wanted to ask which is um have you ever felt it necessary or has sorry has your dad or your mum for that matter ever told you really uh, you can't say that you can't say this tried to change your material or talk to you about your on-screen persona <coughs> uh, on-stage persona sorry or anything like that um like no i think it was really interesting for them at the beginning of this process because they're journalists and because my dad his job for a long time was making sure people said a certain thing and didn't say certain things. You know, you've seen the thick of it. That Mm -hmm. is what Malcolm Tucker does. Like, he makes sure that politicians are saying what he wants them to say. And the thing I think they struggled with the most, and probably still do, but, like, have come to accept that that's just me, is that I am not trying to be a politician. You know, I'm just trying to be, like, a funny person who has things to say. But I'm not scripting myself I'm not going to let someone else tell me that I can't say something mm. that's why I love comedy because you can just get on, get up on a stage and say what you want to say um, even if people disagree with it and so they've that's the one thing that they've sort of had to come to accept so I mean there was one line in my show that my dad asked me to take out which was that his all of our relatives look like Phil Mitchell. But <laughs> if you compare that to, like, some of the stuff I say about him in the show, I was like, that is just fascinating. He's so fine with me talking about all kinds of things. Um, and I don't shit-talk him, because as I've just said, like, I'm very fond of him. But I shit-talk the Blair government yeah. and, and things Decisions that, he's made. Yeah, and things yeah. that happened in that time. Um, and he was totally fine with that. I think that kind of almost shows a little bit of his heart as well, I think, though, because... What he cares about clearly is, despite all of that, make sure that the family aren't pissed off. Uh, I don't really care what you yeah. say about decisions I've made or whatever. And do you, I, I wonder if there's a little piece of, is there a piece of him that probably enjoys the oh, slight ego it. bit being talked about? He loves about? it. It's like for him, it's an amazing experience because, like, God, his daughter loves him that much that she's getting up on a stage every day and talk. He, he's, he's like, you talk about me for an hour, and I'm like, I talk about <laughs> you for like seven minutes. <laughs> but sure, if that's all you want to hear, like, fine. <laughs> that's hilarious. Okay, um, <laughs> do you uh, have any kind of idea of when the first time you felt that your dad was famous um and and probably different from the other dads i guess at school um 
That's a good question. Thank you. I wrote it myself. I don't think I've ever been asked that. Um, like, probably the time that it... So we went to, like, the local state school, and my primary school was about 30 seconds away from our house. Yeah. So all of and my... You, you had to go to the state school because of Labour's education policy. Well, is that also right? That's because kind of my mum is, is a state school campaigner. That's, like, right. what her big thing is. Okay. You know, she campaigns to improve state schools. So she was chair of governors at all of our primary schools, and she's been taking on Toby Young for as long right. as I can remember. So, so it was so really it was real. More, it was really real. The way that, well, the she way made in... Tony Blair do all of that right. stuff on state schools. Mm. Um, so actually, no, it wasn't like in a Harriet Harman, you know, has to send her kids to state school, and if she doesn't, she's going to get <laughs> sacked. It was like my mum was never in a million years not going to send us to a state school. Um, so, so, but our school was about 30 seconds away from our house, and so all of my friends growing up like lived in that area. So actually, I really wasn't very, I really truly wasn't aware of any of it because I used to just hang out with my friends who lived at the estate at the end of our road, and they're Families didn't give a shit about mm-hmm. who my dad was at all. Um, and then it was really probably when, like, all the stuff with Iraq was happening and there was loads of press and protesters outside mm-hmm. our house for a long period of time. And, like, that was when I remember being like, oh, I feel very protective of him. Even though I'm, like, nine years old, I was like, I have to protect him because people were being so mean about him. And I had no idea what was going on. I was just like, I'm going to protect him. So I used to go everywhere with him. And I still am very protective of him. Mm. Like, it's one of those things. It's like, I can chat shit about my dad, but you can't. So don't chat shit about my dad to my face because I will not be nice to you. Yeah. And presumably presumably there's a sensitive side to your dad that no one else gets to see except for yeah. those in the inner sanctum. Yeah, exactly. Well, actually, he made this documentary which came out um, on the BBC this year about his depression. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have said to me that they saw, in that documentary they really saw a side to him, which is he's very vulnerable. And, mm. and when his mental health is bad, he... He's almost childlike, you know, because he's so weak. So it was very sort of, it it was hard in so many ways, like seeing him having to be this like bullish figure who was like really strong for the public, but actually struggling in more ways than one. And actually, I I sent him this message this week because he um he does so much on Brexit, like he's always just going on the news and talking about Brexit. Mm -hmm. And I just sent him this message the other day, being like, I just want you to know that. It's amazing what you're doing, but don't let these people take everything out of you because he cares so much about it that he will stay up till five in the morning, like on Sky News, talking about it. But it takes such a toll on him for his mental health and everything. And that that's the kind I feel very protective of him in lots of ways. And that's sort of one of them because I see how important he is, but I also see how he cares too much in a way. He can't like let stuff go, and yeah. he can't turn switch off from it, and it affects his mental health a lot. And in terms of messages like that and your relationship with each other, do you feel? So I always talk about my relationship with my mum. I'm just pouring some water. For the yes, uh, we really need a water sponsor if we're going to do this. Yeah. Uh, well, let's get Evianne involved next time. Um, I've, I always talk about there was a moment with my mum where I felt. I became the parent a little more and it kind of swaps around a bit. Do you feel, not always, but do you feel like there's an element of that and and, and he's able to accept that in that kind of manner as well? Definitely. Mm. I mean, I even think with us like making a podcast together, you know, there were, there were things about that that it, at moments it was quite difficult because like I am... I know more about this than you. Yeah. So you have to listen to me for a minute because you've never listened to a podcast before. So I, I have to make the call in this moment and... 
So that was a very interesting process for us, but we we did it. I mean, it was difficult at the beginning, but we got there. That's not in the past tense, though. Is it something you're going to continue doing? Oh, yes. We're yeah. going to start a new series uh, recording in October, but it's just about whether or not there's going to be a general election because then he's yeah. going to... And just try for the, and get involved. Somehow. And just for anyone not listening, uh, what what kind of what guests have you had on the podcast, and where can they go and, and listen to it? So and it's stuff? on um, Apple and Spotify and mm-hmm. Acast and all of those. Um, and it's basically like people are either from a world of football or like slightly more politics, feminism side, or just you know Josh Whittacombe, but he's obsessed with football. Yeah. Um, and we talk to them about football, feminism, and everything in between. And we've had like. Uh, Jamie Carragher, Rachel Riley, Ed Miliband, um, Maro Otoje, he was amazing. Oh, yeah. He's a rugby player. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's pretty uh, impressive. Yeah, very, like and 24 or something. Rugby player, uh, beast and face of Vitality Insurance. Oh, is he? Well, him and Jess... Uh, uh, Jessica, Ennis? Is it oh. Jess Ennis? Yeah, Jess Ennis, I think. Really? Yeah, yeah, oh, he's in all so the adverts, yeah, with the little dog. Oh, I haven't seen that, I'm going to look that up. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that, and we're going to start doing some more, but we'll see what happens with politics. Yeah, I've, yeah. I mean, I guess that's a, a reason. I mean, actually, we don't know where this is going out, yeah. but, it, but it's around the time where um, Boris Johnson is losing every single vote. Let's just put yeah, it that right way. Yeah, right now, um, Dominic but, Cummings is firing anyone he lays eyes on, and everybody I see on TV is just saying sack Dominic Cummings. I know it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, interesting. You said about your dad being on Sky all the time. I literally watch him on Sky having a, a Barney with the the conservative lady on Tuesday night. I think oh it was. yeah, that that's the night I texted him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, he, he was, was getting me- exasperated by her. He was meant to go to this like really cool event. I won't say what, but he was, I wasn't even going. So it wasn't even like my loss. But I was like, he sacked off going to this really cool thing because he wanted. Please to Please tell us what it was. No, well, it was the GQ Man of the Year oh, yeah. awards, Great. basically. I mm-hmm. mean, that sounds naff that like I'm saying that, but no, Maya already- Jammer was there. Yeah. Exactly. He always enjoys it as well. Like he always enjoys it, but he was like, "No, this is more important." And I'm just like, oh, "Have a bit of fun, you yeah. know. Just go and get pissed." Yeah, uh, I I can totally see why you say that. Um, so you mentioned how it was just hanging out with your friends up to around nine, and then the Iraq stuff happening. In terms of your later years at school, did you ever feel like you were treated differently because your dad was famous or in the public eye? I guess is a. I, I don't know. Do Do you think I'll ask you? Do you think there's a do you think your dad was famous? No, like, I've never thought he was famous. Okay, so there's a difference, do you think, between fame fame to you more of a celebrity type thing mm. and in the public eye being more of a, a, a service, I guess? Well, as well, I think fame is more... People are just sort of applauded mm-hmm. in my head if they're famous. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just like singers or actors or people that everyone sort of thinks are talented and, and glamorous and stuff. And actually, someone like my dad people have many opinions on it's a different kind of um fame because obviously he is famous because he's well known but it's a different kind of fame because people sort of it's an interesting word that to different people means different things yeah well i think it is different you know like dua lipa who i went to school with um she's famous she's Mm -hmm. a pop star and like Mm -hmm. you if you don't know her it doesn't. It, no, sorry. She's a famous pop star, but like there aren't many people who sort of hate her. Do you no. know what I mean? Because what yeah. she's doing is quite inoffensive. Whereas mm-hmm. people in politics, yeah, are, or even Greta Thunberg is a great example. Greta Thunberg brings out these feelings in people because she's trying to make a change in some way, and there are people who disagree with what she's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and she brings out all of the worst people in society because all of these people on the far right who are attacking a 16-year-old. I yeah. mean, like, it just shows their true colours. So I think it's that that's just... Greta Thunberg is a different level of fame to Dua Lipa, for yeah. example. I think that's where, for me, 
um, I think celebrity is different. I think you're, you're, for me, you're famous if most people know who you are, I guess, or you're in the papers or whatever. Celebrity to me is someone who is um, almost like trying to be famous whether they've got talent or not. Uh, I'm not suggesting that this is right, but this is just kind of how I see it in my head. Um, and then then I guess you can get into the realms of perhaps, you know, your dad quite uh, had quite a lot of notoriety along yeah. the way as well. Yeah. And that almost feels like a word that I would use when people are... Um, uh, they cause people to have differing reactions and sometimes negative ones. Well, that's what I think is really interesting about him is that actually, the, could you tell me who David Cameron's Alistair Campbell was? I couldn't. Exactly, and I couldn't. Like, but I, I could c- tell you who Boris Johnson's is. Yeah, exactly. Well, he's you know he's the really becoming the yeah. new, but sort of even way, more so, way far yeah, out, yeah. much further out, and he won't last very long. Whereas my dad had a very long-lasting time yeah. in Downing Street. Um, I mean, your dad was played a lot of times by actors after the fact, but actually Dominic Cummings before the fact was played yeah. by Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, quite yeah. an achievement. I know, and actually, I yeah, I thought... I was just annoyed that Benedict Cumberbatch played him because it's like, we love Benedict Cumberbatch and we shouldn't love Dominic Cummings. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you felt he, he gave a bit too much humanity. Sort of. I mean, I loved it. I really loved it. I thought it was amazing. But I was just like, I love Benedict Cumberbatch. I wanted it to be like (laughs) Voldemort, you know, (laughs) not like actually Ray Fiennes, but like actual Voldemort, like with the makeup and everything. Um, What was I saying? I don't know. I think the initial question was whether you felt you got treated differently at school at all. No, what I was saying is what my dad's done very well, which Mm. is um, after he finished at Downing Street, he's maintained a proper relevant profile. Yeah. If that makes sense, yeah. Um, wh- which is why you don't know who David Cameron's Alistair Campbell was because he probably just like whittled off and went and did something else and works in consultancy now. Whereas my dad has always had a very public profile. And it's also down to his personality. Like that's just the kind of person he is. He can't sit there and watch something happening without being like, on yeah. Twitter tweeting a hundred times an hour at someone that he disagrees with. It's just the person that he is. Yeah. And he'll never stop being that person. Um, so he's a very interesting level of fame, I would say. I th- yeah, I mean, but not fame in your... <laughs> of, yes, of, of... of In being in the public eye. Yeah, and, and you know, if you think about, like... Um, I was once watching The Peep Show with mm-hmm. my now boyfriend, but we were just dating at the time, and they started talking about my dad in an episode of The Peep Show, and I was like, this is just so weird. And it was from that... In that era, yeah. he was a kind of popular culture reference as well like yeah. he was in a lot of pub quizzes do you know what I mean yeah um, no I really like I really know that feeling because when I was uh, there have been plenty of times where I've played football with Angus and yeah. someone playing on another team has said something or or whatever not always positively and it it's kind of a weird for me anyway a, a weird awkward stomach knotty how, yeah. how do I react and why does it matter how I react it must be he's the only one who really needs to react to it. but for me I felt awkward being mm, around mm. wondering how he's feeling mm-hmm. at that point as mm-hmm. well so yeah yeah kind of, it's a very weird very weird feeling but but what what to finally answer your question <laughs> at school it was never a thing because I went to like the comprehensive girls' school in Kentish Town called Parliament Hill, amazing. Dua Lipa also went there. Mm. She's much more famous than me now, so she's doing very well. And there, literally no one cared. 
Like, it, not not that, like, they didn't know, they knew, but, like, no one cared. It just wasn't, it just wasn't a thing that anyone sort of had any interest in. When I became friends with some private school kids who had parents who were slightly white right wing mm-hmm. and had obviously known that their kid is hanging out with me, then I got shit. Then I started getting shit from these kids who were basically been getting some opinions from their parents and were like feeding through to me and 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 that's when it started to become apparent to me but at my actual school it was really never a thing and you um i just wanted to go back to something when you talked about malcolm tucker that made me remember that uh i know that in your show you do some frequently asked questions and i wondered if maybe you just wanted to go through those frequently asked questions now and just answer them and then that saves me asking any of the frequently asked questions and embarrassing myself okay so number one um the burning question that everyone wants to know the fun one what do you think about the iraq war (laughs) (laughs) it's always the fun one yeah um it was so funny when I was doing this in Edinburgh, there was one point where some guy just shouted, it was fucking unnecessary. And I was like, all right, if you let me come on to that, that's exactly what I'm about to say. But, <laughs> and then I kept going back to him and being like, as the man in the back would say, unnecessary. Um, it was unnecessary. And I think it was very stupid of Tony Blair. You know, a lot of people died. Mm. A lot of families and communities were broken up. And we are still seeing the consequence of it mm-hmm. today. Um, and I do this bit in the show, which is, I was nine at the time, so I don't think there's much I could have done to stop it, but some people think I could have done more, because I once actually got heckled by a woman who told me I was a murderer, because of who my dad was. What venue was that? That was at Up the Creek, in Greenwich. Yeah. Uh, It was in that, like, gong night. Yeah, yeah, I know it well. Yeah, I've done it before, yeah. Have you? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. back in the day when it started. Oh, it was hell. Yeah. It was uh, hell. South East London, though. I know. So you're going to get... How Nobody did you react to the time? Were you ready, were you ready uh, in terms of your comedy career to deal with it stuff like, like that at the time? It was like my fifth gig. Yeah. It was like, no, I wasn't. Yeah. Um, and the woman was like trying to come up onto the stage and I was like, oh my God. And actually the audience really took my side, so it was fine um, in that sense. But this woman was just like not having it. And then eventually I got gonged out because the woman was like going mad. I think it was making people quite uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, she was, ru- she ruined your night. I know, but in a way, it's good. You know that yeah, happened. Sets you up. Um, yeah, and it hasn't touched what had happened since, but that's because I talk about it in the show. Yeah. So like, I know what people want to say. You know. Um, but it's not really. I mean, I can see why. I can see why they do. But I. But it's not relevant to you. That's the thing. No, I know. Just, that's what's so bizarre. Frustrating. It's like, just bizarre. People like, in the audience desperately looking for a, a way of getting involved themselves. I know. You know it's pathetic. I know. It was very interesting. Cause it's like, you know, I always think about this. If I in ten years met Jacob Rees Mogg's kid. <laughs> I wouldn't be nice to them. He's got about 13 He's kids, hasn't he? He's got a lot, he? and yeah. probably by then he'll have like 25. Yeah. But I don't think I, I'd be particularly nice to him, and that's me sort of contradicting myself, yeah. because we're saying that you shouldn't be mean to someone because of who their parent is, mm-hmm. although if I met Jacob Rees-Mogg's kid, I don't think I would be very nice to them because of how much I despise their father. So it is, it's kind of hard. And how would you, know? you feel, I see what you're saying, how would you feel if you <clears throat> met Jason Jacob Rees-Mogg's child but didn't know it was Jacob Rees-Mogg's child and you liked that person and then you found out, I mean, do you think you would immediately dislike that no, person? I, no, I don't think I would, no. Okay, so it would just be a purely... And actually, I think I'd probably, like, now because I'm saying this out loud and realising that in the same way, I'm very happy that a lot of people in my life have always been like, I'm not going to 
be rude to you because of who your dad is, you know, like it's, that's just a ridiculous way to behave. So I, I shouldn't do that, you mm. know, as much as I despise Jacob Rees-Mogg and as much as I predict that his kids will turn out like mini versions of him yeah. but just because, you yeah. know, that's the kind of person that he is and that's what he's descended from. Um, I hope I would give them a bit more of benefit yeah. of the doubt kind we've, of thing. We've talked through it here and we've decided that if either of us bump into that we'll person, nice. Denise, that will, will immediately yeah. be nice. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, do you feel, uh, you talked about being protective about your dad. Do you feel like you take after him in many ways, either on stage or just in general? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think less now. Like, when I was younger, I thought the only way to be was to be like my dad. And actually, as I've gotten older, I've realised I want to be as much like my dad as I do like my mum, because mm-hmm. my mum's a very kind, empathetic, patient person, and she has a lot of qualities that I didn't... I just didn't respect as much as I do now, which, you know, that sounds quite brutal, but it's true. Um so that's I, just growing up, though, isn't it? That, that's yeah. just that's. All but I think us. it's also like gender because I think I always saw my dad and thought I want to be like hyper alpha and dominant, 
Um, and that's why I'm, I've always been a, a female who baffles people because I've always, like, not acted in the way that I think women mm-hmm. are conditioned to behave. Um, and so growing up, I was always, like, probably a bit of a dick because I was, like, looking at my dad and being like, that's how I'm going to behave. But as you're, like, a 14-year-old girl, you can't behave like a pol- politician, like yeah. a man in politics, mm-hmm. It's just absurd. Um and actually, as I've gotten older, I've realised that this idea that I think people should be whoever they want to be, right? You should be a housewife is that if that's what you want to be, a house husband if that's what you want to be. Um, and I think what we do is we shame these characteristics that someone like my mum has, which are actually really good characteristics like empathy. We all need more empathy in the world today. We all need more patience and like kindness and respect to each other. But we're taught to think that like if you're a woman and you're like that, you're not going to be successful. So you have to be more like mm. alpha. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's such an unhelpful way to think. Um and so I don't think, and so when you boil it down, I don't think it should be about gender. I think we should have those qualities there, and you can pick and choose what it is you want to be like, and you can be very dominant if you want to be. Um, but don't feel you have to be that way to to succeed, basically, yeah. because it's one of the problems in politics is that <clears throat> we don't celebrate women like that or men like that, you know, as much as we do men like Boris Johnson or Donald Trump. Mm. Um, women like Margaret Thatcher like they they are made to f- to behave a bit more like men in order to get out to the top and i just wish we could get to a place where like people want to be empathetic <laughs> yeah it's really interesting though because you're fighting for all of these things through your activism and campaigning do you, but there's clearly as you alluded to, an element of that alpha side that you got from your dad that enables you to, totally, to fight like that as totally. well. Totally, so, And I love that side of me. Yeah. And, and I don't want it to go away because it, it's who I am. I've, you know, I think it's totally, totally me. But I also, as I've gotten a bit older and have been working and, you know, being in lots of different environments and that kind of thing, I've realised that, I don't want to always be like that, you know? Like, you have to have a bit of both, I think, especially if you want people to work with you again, you know? Like, you can can be a bossy dick for only so long and then people are going to be like, well, there's basically someone with the same credentials who's actually quite nice to be around Mm -hmm. um, and so we're going to pick that person. So it's that, but it's also like just be nice to people and I think a misconception about my dad is that he's not nice. He's actually one of the nicest people. He never forgets anyone. He will never forget, once he's met you, he'll never forget your name. He'll never forget a piece of information about you. He's quite an amazing sort of charismatic person. That's a real skill. It's a real skill and he's a proper people's person. Like, he loves being around people. Yeah. Um, He actually, I I have to say, comes across in your podcast, he comes across to me like he's not ashamed to now admit that he's learning stuff from you as well, which is certainly the opposite of what, you know, if we'd had this conversation 10 years ago, what I'd imagine your dad was capable of or interested in. Uh, totally. And that, that is a really good education, I think, for any men who are hopefully listening to that stuff because we're almost, you know, taught and it's ingrained in us to, you know, be strong and don't change whatever, you, you know, don't ever be weak, but also, you know, changing and, and learning about mindfulness and making sure you're mm, you yeah, know, bettering yourself is not something that we're, we're trained to do, really. No, I know. And actually, that's why in a lot of ways, I think my dad was pretty ahead of his time because he was talking about mental health before 
it was like him, Stephen Fry and Ruby Wax Mm -hmm. in terms of like public people who had come out and been like, I've got mental health issues. Um, So he's always been a bit like, I don't care about seeming weak because he... I don't think he's... He, he, that's what I mean. He's quite... He's a very interesting person. Yeah. Very hard to sum up because he's sort of the embodiment of, like, masculinity but also really not. And he's actually very sweet and very happy to be vulnerable and very happy to be like, Grace, I don't really understand this. Can you, like, tell me if, like... Yeah. I'm doing the right thing in this situation or, like, yeah. am I allowed to say this? Or, you know, he's very like that. He's really... um, uh, What is it when you look inside yourself? Um, I it, mean... In, um, retrospective is that all? no mm, Retrospe- interest, introspective. introspective yes introspective. thank you Emily the producer there thank you Emily he's very what was it introspective <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you looked at me like I'd know and I desperately looked into the window for help from the clever people uh, yeah he I mean yeah I mean it's, it, he covers a lot of bases and, mm. and you seem to as well which is you know it's obviously you seem to have the benefit of both you know all of his different sides as well as your mum's I'm intrigued and feel free to tell me to fuck off but I'm intrigued to wonder what the family dynamic was like when you were growing up in terms of you know all those great traits that your mum had and then your dad and then how that would come together with you kind of in the middle do you have siblings as well? I have two older brothers but they're quite a bit older they're seven right. and eight years older than me so they were so they're they're slightly different, I think, because they've been more like trying not to be like our dad. Yeah. You know, it's what I said earlier. Said, on. Yeah. It's like I think when you're a son of someone like that, it is slightly different. It's like if my mum was the Alistair Campbell in this situation, I think I would be differently mm-hmm. different as a as a result of it. So I think my brothers have always been a bit like don't want to be in his shadow but also like really interested in politics and football and that's sort of what both of them have massive interests in now they're not as much like people who will like talk about their mental health publicly in fact no that's not true one of my brothers is very open about his mental health Mm, they're they're are they like i'm just trying to think if they're anything like my mum i'd say they've they probably are, definitely, but maybe they've not had this sim- similar thing that I've had, which is like suddenly realising that I've gone too far one way and want to go a bit back the other. And I really think that is because of me being a woman as well. Yeah. Um, because I just sort of feel like I thought the only way that I was going to be like successful and respected is if I'm just like my dad. Um, the family dynamic at home it was very, very interesting. <laughs> still is very interesting okay it's never not boring that's what my mum always says life with Alistair Campbell never no always sometimes difficult never boring is that is that the tagline sometimes difficult never boring yeah okay but no but but no specifics just I, I'm just intrigued as to uh, you know was it was it ever I, I, I don't know like it just feels like was it always slightly on the edge, on the edge of tension, slightly, or would your mum just dampen that down and tell your dad to shut the fuck up and, and then, no, it would just I'm, be kind of normal I mean, dinner in front of the TV, or was he just never really there that much because of? Because he of he wasn't there that much when I was a kid, and yeah. I also don't remember that period that much. I remember my teenage years more, but he was very there then. I mean, yeah, we're all we've all got massive sort of personalities. My mum's like the calmest person in the family. Um, we all have massive fiery personalities, and you know. Everyone wants to be right and everyone has their, their own opinions. Um, 
So it's it, it's lively, but I would say that's like all families. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, lively is a really good word. I can yeah, imagine it being lively. Yeah, it's it's lively, but also sometimes quite dull. Um, like I mean, yeah, like uh, even even that thing at the end of the LBC thing where you're, I think your dad said, "All right, Grace, stop nagging me now." That's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, sums yeah, it up for me yeah, a little bit. Like yeah. he'll take it so much and then just yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes he struggles with being told what to do by his someone who he still sees as his like teenage daughter yeah. even though I'm not a teenager like he definitely has had um, issues with that at points but I've gotten better at communicating what I'm trying to say to him about like it seeming like an egg um, yeah interesting um, so another question that we ask every guest is uh, how has growing up around fame affected your personal relationships um, mm-hmm. Do you think it's Do you think it's got any relevance to it at all? As an example, I um, uh, just to give you some context, I was seeing a therapist at one point and um, kind of explained the situation behind. You know, my mum had a bit of fame, and then my stepdad was. My dad had a bit of fame, but he wasn't really around. And then my stepdad was pretty famous when I was kind of from about four to thirteen. Um, and I was explaining what the nature of my mum's relationships with those people are and were. And um, my therapist was like, has it ever occurred to you that you think a relationship isn't a relationship unless it's really dramatic? So I'm intrigued from other people in kind of Mm -hmm. similar growing up around the public eye, whether anything like that you think has affected your personal relationships, the relationships you get into. It doesn't have to be not not only kind of romantic relationships, but also friendships. And and, uh, certainly I feel like... um, I'm quite unforgiving if someone cro- if someone shows disloyalty to me. I think mm-hmm. I I deal with it in quite a dramatic way and mm-hmm. like never talk to them again. So just in those kind of situations. Um, well, I've always had like an amazing group of friends, and my group of friends from secondary school are still my best friends. And like I said before, they would never cared who my dad was or yeah. who my family was. So it was never. That, that's what I actually really loved about that. It made me very secure because I was like, these people just want to be my friend and they couldn't give a shit about um, my family. And then actually in the last sort of few years, two of my best friends now are also children of quite prolific men. And I love them so much, but it's also no coincidence that the three of us have sort of found each other mm-hmm. because we have had a very bizarre experience, which, as I said at the beginning, I never complain about because it it's like not one of those things that you, I want to moan about. It's not like a moan, but it's fucking weird sometimes. And it is nice to talk to people who have had that experience. Yeah. Um, so Scarlet and Honey, like those two, that that has been a big thing for me is having yeah. them and, and just like just really tiny things that they've just sort of got. And I, and I never really had that um, before then in terms of just like, having that shared experience with anyone else apart from my brothers and actually like their parents are more famous than mine so it's great <laughs> in a different way in a different in way, a different way. Yeah. Uh, and Scarlett and Honey you do the pink protest with yeah exactly um, uh, yeah I think uh, what was I going to ask Some, I, I just am I'm intrigued as to um, how and in terms of kind of romantic-y type stuff do you think it's affected you in any way about, about those kind uh, of that's relationships that's what I was going to say so like it's Really interesting because I never, like, I always sort of didn't really know what I wanted from a relationship. And I think because in my head growing up, I was like my dad 
And so then I was like looking for someone like my mum. And that's always, you know, as a heterosexual person, that means I'm looking for a man who's like my mum, who's, Mm -hmm. you know, slightly more, you know, that kind of energy. Um, But I would never, I actually never admitted that that's what I wanted for a long time. And that, no, now I'm in a very happy relationship with someone who, you know, he's not my mum. But because that would be fucking weird. I mean, that'd but, be a great but story. But he's for got this an amazing, like, calming presence, and is very sort of like rational and patient, and sort yeah. of has all of those qualities that I don't have. And and so, you know, it's hard because I, I I like my dad have proper mental health issues, and that's what my next Edinburgh show is about actually. Um, so so that's been interesting. But also, I me and Scarlett talk a lot about like growing up with parents like this when you're made to feel that you like have to be with someone who you also work with because that's what like our parents do mm-hmm. and that's what like a lot of the couples that we've grown up around like they all like work together as well and they're right. sort of like power right. couples and yeah. we like put this massive pressure on like being in a power couple and I'm like oh my god if I worked with the person I was with I'd be dead they'd be dead <laughs> it would never work um so that's another thing I've had to come to terms with. And just to, I'm never going to meet in a power couple. Uh, and just to, um, I mean, just for anyone who doesn't know, Scarlett's dad is Richard Curtis. Yeah, and, and mum, honey, and, and mum, mum is, is Emma, Freud. Emma Freud. And Honey's uh, mum and dad are Jane Goldman and Jonathan Ross. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, it's based on something you'd said, was uh, when you said you don't feel it's coincidence that you guys kind of came together. Like, did it? was it kind of work that got you together first or you were friends through friends? How did that It was work, actually. Um, it was all feminism. Um, it was that we all, you know, wanted to do stuff on feminism. And, and how did you find each other? Scarlett and I met doing something for Elle when we were like 18, 19. And then she already knew Honey from mm-hmm. school. And Scarlett and I started working together and then we I met Honey and then we all became friends and now we're all best friends and uh, we've built a little really cool little sort of network of like feministy creative people in London. Um, so yeah, that's really nice. And what are the what are the kind of um, you know short, medium, long term goals for the pink protests? Well, we at the moment we're having a sort of like trying to strategize a bit we want to keep doing campaigns and we've got a few little things that we're like brewing in terms of like slightly smaller the problem in politics right now is that brexit is the only thing on anyone's agenda mm-hmm. it's it's so sad for politicians who like went into politics to do all kinds of things and at the moment they can't debate on anything else really yeah. so it's a sort of dry time to try and like launch a campaign which is why we're working behind the scenes on a few little things our long term goal is to lower the voting age to 16 is to run a campaign on that but right. again quite difficult to do that right now with the government that we have yeah. um, and then just to keep supporting like activists we do regular events in London and we've made three podcasts um, which are sort of coming out at the moment one of them is mine and my dad's mm-hmm. Um, and where and the the website is pinkprotest.org, is yeah, that right? That's right. Very good. Very yeah, good. Plugging that. No problem. Um, <laughs> uh, a little less important. Actually, one thing I was just going to say about that is because uh, you'd be a good person. I'm not overly political and and wouldn't claim to know a lot. But what I what I keep coming back to in terms of you know the last three years and Brexit and stuff is that it just to me makes it look like politicians don't really what were they doing before do you know what I mean it's like I they're, they're, they haven't been doing anything other than Brexit for three years so what were they filling their time with before and I know it's quite know. a basic way of looking at it but for a lay person I think that is it's making but politicians it's also, look terrible like oh what was it the other day we were talking me and my friends were talking we remembered like oh 
we remembered like when something so small was like a massive news story. I can't remember what it was. I really want to remember it. But like, do you remember when like like leaves on the line? I mean, back in the eighties, like, exactly. it was always leaves on the line. But like when something like that was a massive news story, yeah. or like you know. But now stuff like that is happening every day. It's yeah. impossible to keep up. I would say the answer to that is actually people are suffering because politicians aren't doing the things that they would usually yeah. be doing. Yeah. People in this country are suffering. Mm-hmm. And stuff's being cut left, right and centre. And we're just not reading about it because all we're reading about is Brexit. So it's very dangerous. Well, Boris would say then we've got to get ourselves out. <laughs> yeah, with a no deal, which is know, like the yeah. craziest thing in the world. I mean, I, d- I just don't understand what his mission is here. And for all those of you listening to this well after the fact, um, congratulations on knowing exactly what happens yes, on 31st I'm, of October because we don't. You. Um, okay, a little less uh, importantly, a bit more trivially, uh, yeah, what's love. the most unusual thing that happened as a result to you or that you can remember anecdotally? Um, because you were around fame or the public eye or infamy, notoriety, celebrity, Um, whatever you want to call it. I went up the London Eye with Vladimir Putin's family. And him? He wasn't actually there. Okay, so... it was just his family. Okay, and uh, I mean, obviously I've got a vision of just you in a pod with the Putins. I've got a picture. Okay, Mm -hmm. that won't help on this podcast. But if you send it to me, I'll put it on the... It's true, it's very blurry, I'll send it to you. Uh, What do you remember about that? Um, well, that I basically I got in trouble because Mrs. Putin asked Shrew Blair uh, where to buy the girls some nice shoes in London, and I told her that she should go to Clark's. I mean, I know, you know, legend. I mean, Clark's, Clark's, d- Clark's do a lovely pair. And of then moccasins. if you see the picture, it looks like one of the girls is actually wearing a pair of wallabies. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how old were you when that happened? Um, like ten. Okay. And I was a proper little tomboy as well. And did you know what was going on? Like, did you know that this was... No. No. 100% no. Yeah. I, didn't know any, I didn't know any of it. There's this amazing picture, actually. So I've got this video the day that Tony Blair became Prime Minister. He's making his speech outside Downing Street, and there's all this crowd, and everyone's waving the Union Jacks. And I'm literally next to him. My mum's holding me in mm-hmm. her arms. And it goes him and then me. And it's like a crazy perfect piece of footage which shows me that I'm in the right job because this piece of footage is just unbelievable. But then there's this picture of when I got really bored when this was all going on and I just strolled off and this photographer got this picture of me and it's like me with my sippy cup and a duck toy <laughs> like and my Union Jack flag and I'm just like walking away from Downing Street like I'm so much better than this. These people are all losers. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. What was the duck called I think most importantly? I have no idea. Really? Not like your most cherished cuddly toy for that important moment? It was a Water, it was a bath duck. Oh. Yeah, how weird. It was like a rubber duck. <laughs> that is bizarre. I know. That is really bizarre. Um, just wonder if you think you have a a different relationship with your dad than your friends do with their dads or people who aren't in the public. You've, you've mentioned quite a lot about it. I think, yeah, because I think you, you have this protectiveness that you don't have if your dad's, like, not yeah. someone in the public eye, like... I've always felt really protective of him. Mm-hmm. And I remember the day after the EU referendum, um, we went to the Remain campaign party and we stayed up all night and he wanted to go into um, College Greens, do loads of interviews, and so I went with him. And, you know, I went with him because it was, like, fascinating and I love going and seeing all of that stuff and it's great for my comedy. Yeah. Um, but also I went with him because I know he gets in fights. Like, he's a very argumentative person who you know verbal fights verbal fights well yeah I mean I've stopped him from swinging for people a few Mm -hmm. times Mm -hmm. 
he... I mean, the Adam Bolton thing. Do you remember that? Uh, tell us. When him and Adam Bolton, the Sky News presenter, got in that proper I'm, fight. I mean, Adam Bolton should... I mean, he's very, that, an eminently punchable man. Yeah, totally. Have, it's the best video on YouTube. I watch it once a week when I'm sad. <laughs> um, it was the day that, the, that Gordon Brown sort of lost and the coalition eventually happened and it was that day and it was like my dad was sort of doing this thing to Adam Bolton that was like sort of patronising him and then Adam Bolton just switched and was like you can't tell people what to say Alistair you and it was just it's the funniest thing ever you have to watch it I feel like I remember I definitely remember a video where Adam Bolton goes absolutely nuclear but I don't remember it being at your yeah, dad yeah yeah it's oh, with okay. my dad yeah, you have to watch it's the best thing ever and how does your dad react I will watch that my dad's so good he goes calm down Adam calm <laughs> the worst down worst thing you can say yeah, to an angry he's person he's so provocative yeah. like the whole thing is just so provocative and it's just hilarious to watch. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, Adam Bolton. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just so... Have you seen the video of him swallowing the fly? Yes, <gasps> I've seen that. That's also I've the other that. thing I watch when I'm sad. <laughs> I've seen that. Um, what I think we got to maybe one of your frequently asked questions, which oh, was a raw... Oh, sorry, yeah. Uh, what are the other... Are there two more? What are, what are the others? Does your dad still to- talk to Tony Blair? Yes. Okay. And then, um, is your dad like Malcolm Tucker? And I sort of, you know, the answer to that, I kind of just said, you know, he is a pretty explosive character. How does he feel about, uh, how did he feel about Armando in it, in Uchi's mouth, Malcolm Tucker in the thick of it? Um, so he, he, was he, uh, was his ego massaged by that as well? He's actually, he's really funny. Like, he really res- respects it as a show. Like, he thinks yeah, it's really show. funny mm-hmm. and so well written. But he, because he's like, people always ask him about it and want to know if that's what he's like. When he watches it, he's like... I would have never done that. I didn't do that. That's not what. That's not what happens. No, that wouldn't have happened. No, that like, do you know what I mean? He sort of like picks it apart. Yeah. So, but he, I think again, it's. It, can you imagine? Like, that's the coolest thing in the world to say that Malcolm Tucker was based on you. Are you joking? It's the best character, fictional character, in my opinion, that's ever been written. No, absolutely. And I think your dad is basically responsible for that man yeah. becoming Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I think he can, you know, take yeah. a lot of props for that. <laughs> Um, yeah, genuinely one of the funniest characters. Oh my of god, all time, of he's, he's ridiculous. Um, so in your show, uh, you talk a lot about the work that your mum's done. You've mentioned your mum, obviously, uh, but that it went largely unrecognised in comparison to your dad. Uh, do you feel? How do you feel about her kind of relative lack of fame or um, knowledge of her in the public eye? Um, well, this is, yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of what I talk about in the show, like because my mum has those more slightly more chilled out characteristics chilled out vibes yeah she's chilled out she's never been like listen to me look at me look at me look at me like listen to what I've done listen to what I've done Um, unlike me and my dad like she's not a sort of like shout about what I've achieved kind of person um, which is incredible, mm-hmm. but it's just so different to us so so I, I sort of do say in the show that I feel like she was she just is the unsung hero of our family, basically. And and also on top of, like, them both working at Downey Street, she was also raising us and, like, work chair of governors at our schools. Yeah. And, um, How do they have time to fit all this stuff in? <laughs> it sounds exhausting. Well, my dad was, like, I mean, nonstop. He was just absolutely nonstop working. He never stopped for, like, uh, quite a few years. Um, and did you have any lingering... Mm, resentment for him not being around during those years? I mean, yes, but also, like, no. (laughs) I did in a way, but also... And I probably actually think now I have some sort of, like, issues with um, 
people leaving and, yeah. and I, I do have like abandonment issues mm -hmm. because I always get scared that people are going to go away for a long period of time. Um, so, yes, definitely. But I don't think I've ever been sort of resentful for hit to him. Have you talked, have you have you spoken about that openly with? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, 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 I think for me, the thing that like affects me the most is that I hope he knows like that a lot of what he's done has been great because I think sometimes he's like I need to be back in the thick of it because look what's happening and mm -hmm. I could be doing stuff about it and mm -hmm. I think I wish sometimes he'd be a bit more like I've done a lot you Tony, know? Tony Blair's feeling the same I think judging yeah, by but a lot of just, his interviews people just don't want to hear from him <laughs> you know they just don't and he just needs to stop but you don't feel they tar <laughs> your dad with the same brush a little bit no and nowhere near and that's what I think is very interesting about my dad like in the way that when my dad... So, for example, when my dad got kicked out of the Labour Party that day, mm. I mean, I was on the internet all day. And sure, some people were like, fuck him, like, he deserves everything, whatever. But a lot of people were deeply affected by it because he they do not see my dad as, as Tony Blair because my dad's been doing all this stuff on mental health. Yeah. He's been a very sort yeah. of, like, public, as we've already said, like, relatable figure yeah. since it. And he's got the football thing going for him. All, all those many, many millions of Burnley fans will always stick yeah, up for your dad. Yeah, but also all of the, like, a lot of those sort of, like, football fans who just see him as someone who just tweets about football. Like, yeah. What is, his, what is his percentage of political to football-based tweets? I don't know. That's a very good question. He's also gotten good at, like, calling people out for not being feminists, which I'm very proud of. Yeah. Mm. Oh God. I mean, you are literally responsible for that. For that. Um, what are the other? Are are can you think of any kind of best and worst things that your dad has said about your comedy, other than the Phil Mitchell thing? Obviously, that's the only thing he asked you to take out of your show. But in the, I mean, in terms of, so actually, that what you said about um, playing up the creek early on in your comedy career, presumably, I mean, what was the earliest he came to see you? And, and he came to see me quite early on. Actually, I only started doing comedy last year. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I know. So just over a year or? Just over a year. Started Blimey, last to do May. An, to do an Edinburgh hour. Brave. Very brave. Very brave. That's what people kept saying. I was like, can you stop saying that? Cause it makes okay. Me feel stupid. Scared. Very stupid. Well, it was actually good. <laughs> the so, best thing you've ever done. Yeah, I'm very happy I did it this year. Yeah, you should be. Um, but he came to see me like pretty early on. I was doing a 10 minute set at a gig in Camden. And I got heckled about him, mm -hmm. but I thought it was my dad who was heckling me. Yeah. So I was like, oh, shut up, dad. <laughs> well, and then we were leaving. It's an especially funny reply if it wasn't your dad doing it. Best shutdown ever. Yeah. And then we were leaving and he was like, you know, that wasn't me. And I was like, what? My God. So I literally, so this guy shut up after I was like, shut up, dad. Like, That's hilarious. <laughs> I know. That is hilarious. Um... <laughs> It's a very good. My mum. To my anyone mom. listening, if you if you're performing and people heckle you, just be like, "Sorry, that's my dad." Yeah, that, that, or my other one is like, "Sorry, that's my agent. She's just like sending someone to will, train me." That will always work. My mum used to heckle me. I did a lot really? of yeah. I did a lot of MC, but my mum would just see it whenever I did a gig. She'd see it as a great night out. So she'd be on the Pinot Grigio right. from about midday. <laughs> And then she'd turn up, and she'd usually turn up with either some guy that she would describe as an escort, which I don't mean she got from an agency, but she would... My mum seems... They were just escorting my, her. Exactly. Yeah. My mum, who, bless her, is now a very glamorous early 70s, she, from about 1992, she has claimed that she has no interest in men whatsoever. However, there have been a number of escorts <laughs> who have brought her to gigs, and um, she, used to, yeah, she used to heckle. Oh my God, I and, love you know, that. So I'd make a joke... 
you know, about someone in my family. She just goes, that's not fucking true. <laughs> I was like, this is not how it works. What are you doing? But in a way, it does. I mean, especially when I was running the night, it would add a lot to the it's very to No, the that, it's so much fun. Like, my dad came to see me in Edinburgh. And I said to him before... <laughs> put him on a throne. I was like, can you hide while people are coming in? It's yeah. a very small room. I was like, can you hide? And then I'm behind the curtain backstage and I look and he's not hiding. He's just sitting in full light so that everyone walking in the first thing they see is him sitting there so it's like and anyway so then I went out and I just kept talking to him throughout the show and it just made it just a really fun special show because people were constantly like it was me and him were just having this back and forth um so I think people love being there for that I love being at gigs and people are like my boyfriend's actually here today like do you know what I mean it makes it just so nice yeah it gives it an extra frisson yeah um did and uh did uh, were there any reviewers in that day? Like, w- did anyone get to review that particular gig? I don't I think so. It was very late in the run. Mm. Uh, it was like the last few days. My parents came. And your overall, your overall feeling of how Edinburgh went and stuff, and good for your career. And yeah, it was really good. You know what? Like, who knows about how good it's going to be for my career? Because I've literally just gone back. But mm-hmm. it was so good for my skills as a performer. Yeah. Like, I can't even tell you how much better I feel as a stand-up from doing it yeah just that crazy. that uh, over and over and uh, day after day after yeah. day after day and did you manage to uh, were you burning the candle or did you manage to keep it I did in the last calm? week yeah. um, the first few weeks I was pretty chill and then in the last week I did but I was doing like because my room was pretty small so I sold out very quickly and then oh I added God. in loads of extra shows so I was like fucking exhausted yeah. a lot of the time and I was just you know it was. it's an endurance thing it's a proper endurance thing and you got to pick yourself up, you know, like on days where I was getting a bad review, I'd have to be like, yeah, fuck them, you know. That's the key, isn't it? Yeah. You just got to get back up and do it. Um, so and that's a mad som- skill. Yeah, presumably sometimes that feels like the very last thing you can possibly do is is get up from yeah. a, a knock when you're exhausted. But anyway. I always did it. And that's what I, that's why I'm like really impressed with myself. I always, always did it. Even when my anxiety was really bad. It would never show mm-hmm. on stage. So I'm like, cool, I've got that, you know, yeah. under control. And you mentioned your mental health problems and anxiety and stuff there. And also your dad's obviously suffered from them as well. Is is, is he very supportive of you now? And you, you is he someone you go to uh, yeah, in terms yeah. of having had experience of it and someone that you could, that can relate to you and you feel comfortable, comfortable? It's like a safe space. Yeah, he really is. Him and Scarlett my best friend like they're both amazing because they both have depression Mm. so they I don't have depression I just have anxiety and like forms of OCD Mm -hmm. Um, but they are really amazing to talk to because sometimes you do just want to talk to someone who's been there you know like there's only so much people who have never had those feelings can say and sometimes they just ask really frustrating questions Um, so that's kind of a fortunate position to be in then I guess especially I mean totally with with your dad especially that seems like quite seems like quite a rare thing I have to say for uh, a daughter to go to their father for you know such open important mental Mm. health issues Um, Mm. and more people should definitely should definitely oh my god that's the thing and I think we all just need to get a better understanding of, of mental health you know even people with mental illness need to get a better understanding of it but sometimes Scarlett is actually doing a book at the moment which is going to come out in October and it's all my dad's written an essay in it uh-huh. and it's all about mental health people writing essays on mental health and you know and it, she talks about all the different things that you shouldn't 
shouldn't, shouldn't say to people, but, you know, it's like my least favourite thing in the world is when you say I'm feeling really anxious or I'm feeling really low and people are like, why? Like, everything's going so well for you at the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's just the worst thing you can say to someone because it just makes you then feel ashamed that you're not, so grateful for everything you've got that you're not just happy and skipping down the street all the time and it's like that is not what mental illness is it's an illness you know it comes at times when you when it shouldn't be there when when things are going fine yeah um i really still feel a a stigma in in the workplace of being able to you know i i find it easy to say i've had tonsillitis yeah when the reality is I just can't get out of bed. Yeah, totally. And that, and that has to, that, I mean, I don't, I, know. I, I actually, even though I know that has to change and I know that I would, you know, if I was a boss and someone said that to me, that would be absolutely fine. But I don't feel able to openly say to my boss, that is the reality. Truly, nor nor have I for a very long time, you know, like, and that's why my dad and Scarlett have both been amazing people to have so close to me in my life because they're both people who speak really publicly mm. and honestly about their mental health. And it was just from seeing that for a long period of time that I've then got to a point where I'm like, actually, it's so fine to say that. And mm. when I've been in jobs where I've been like, actually, I'm going to have to leave at this time on that day because I've got therapy every week and I can't miss it because if I do, you know, it's the thing that I need to do to make myself... At a certain level, mm. um, and a better worker. Totally. Like, yeah. Totally. Um, I mean, I've got therapy next Wednesday at ten a.m. and I'm feeling like empowered to maybe actually be honest with my boss about it. But I wonder how yeah. I feel once I get out of this room. <laughs> Just say it. Yeah. I think the thing is I'm now bite, I'm is biting that you at get, the headphones. I'm so a, nervous at the thought. You get of it. in a lot of um, trouble if you don't support people like that, like with mental illness now. So I think people yeah. are a bit scared of not being woke. That yeah. they would never be like, oh, you can't do that, you know, because then you could like tweet, my boss is not is discriminating me because of my mental health. I'm not saying that's not what you're going to no, do, no, but like no, yeah. that's what people are scared of now. So I think just use that. I did write an email to my um, previous employers explaining that I was having serious mental health issues and then they fired me about two <gasps> months later. Oh, my God. And then I compl- uh, but I was, you know, fixed-term contract, you know, yeah. um, gig economy, <laughs> basically. <laughs> it wasn't Sports Direct, but it could well have been. Uh, and, um, Deliveroo. And, yeah, exactly. I wish. Uh, sweet, sweet discounts. Uh, I bet but, they get no discounts. You're right. You're so right. Um, but, you know, I chased it up a bit with an employment lawyer, but it was basically like... Really? Oh, it was basically awful. like, what can you what can you do? Anyway, uh, less, less about me. A couple more questions. Um, one of the main reasons I wanted to start doing this is kind of my own feelings over the years about nepotism and Mm. fear of um, ever being seen as using nepotism to get anywhere in my career. Um, As it helps, as it happens, I haven't really got that far in the (laughs) comedy career, my comedy career anyway. So I don't think it's ever really applied. But I'm really intrigued by uh, people's thoughts on it in a similar situation and whether... So, for instance, an example just come to me, but um, I guess there's an element of, with your Edinburgh show, there's a chance you sold out a lot because of the mm-hmm. nature of what your show was about, about your dad, mm-hmm. you're very open and unashamed about it. Has there ever been a time where you felt differently or or, or you just don't give a fuck and rightly so? No, I do give a fuck. But for me, because of all the activism stuff I do, I don't feel that guilty. No, you know, giving like, a voice to some other yeah, stuff. Yeah, like I, I'm not... I'm not just like standing on a stage and talking about who I am for no reason like if you come and see my show it has a big point and the point the wider point of the show is that young people no longer have faith in the political system and that we don't champion women like my mum enough Mm -hmm. and that's sort of the the kind of leaving note of the show and then also I want to be rich Um, (laughs) but so I don't you know 
I don't just don't that's not who I am you know like I think nepotism obviously is a problem we all know this right but as I said earlier I was never gonna like shy away from who I was because it's who I am and I'm not ashamed of it um so I just talk about it and I talk about privilege and I talk about nepotism in my comedy I'm not like Mm -hmm. pretending this is not a thing I'm not pretending that a lot of you aren't here just because of who my dad is I'm not thick like I know but I'm talking about it and I'm Mm. just going to confront it face on Um, so yeah and then I think as well like I don't feel as bad as maybe I would because I do a lot of other stuff which is actually like my own version of like change making and and that kind of stuff and I think um, you know just to play devil's advocate is comedy is you know you can't you're not going to get anywhere in comedy unless you're funny. That's the the yeah, reality exactly. the reality of it. So no matter how, you know, and I've heard people say it all the time, this comedian or this actor or this whatever is only there because of their famous brother, dad, mum, whatever. But the reality is, and if you're shit, you're not going to get well, anywhere. And that should be the bottom line. Totally, and that's the thing. And it's like, well, people like my comedy and people laugh at my shows and people yeah. come back. Um, and... So, you know, don't, not don't. everyone will come back. There were some men that were very uncomfortable at my masturbation routine. Oh, yes. But they, yeah. they shouldn't come back because there'll be more. But if they want to come back, what is your brilliantly titled website called? Oh, is it Disgrace Campbell? Disgrace Campbell. Yeah, like that. It's dot my com. Instagram as well. Disgrace is the website. It is, com. It is. Yeah, I checked. Thank you. I checked. Oh, I haven't um, checked that website. So go there days. and maybe you'll update gigs where yeah. people can come and yeah, see yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, and definitely. there's a section on it about the pink protest yes. as well. We end on a question that we ask everyone. I feel like I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it to you anyway. If you could go back and have the chance to live exactly the same life, but without your father's fame slash life in the public eye, would you swap? No, because then I would have never met David Beckham. <laughs> that is no longer the last question. <laughs> Tell me how you met. What happened with David Beckham? He touched my head. And I didn't wash my hair for six weeks. He was playing at Wimbledon. Right. Whenever my dad retells me this story, Wait, playing I, tennis at Wimbledon. Exactly at Wimbledon <laughs> Football Club. Right? right. My dad is always like, it was at Wimbledon. So I'm like, but I remember being in the tunnel and he was going onto the pitch. We were not at tennis, and he's always like, we were at Wimbledon. And anyway, the other day, so I that must have been Selhurst, Selhurst Park where Wimbledon played at the time. Probably, I don't know. Okay. I don't know, but he touched my head and said I was cute. I was standing in the tunnel before they went out. Oh, that is the cute. Game. Six know. weeks with no hair washing. I know. I was obsessed with him. I feel like this is a good time to say that both Grace and I have the same hair. The same exactly hair. Exactly the same hair. Washed it this morning. Um, Grace, thank you so much for coming on. No, I really appreciate it. It's fun. been such a lovely chat. Um, I feel like I've covered, I've got a little bit here that where I'm going to talk about all your various... Uh, social media handles. I don't know if you want to talk about uh, any. Have we have we covered? Have we not covered any? You got your Instagram, your Twitter, Twitter, Grace Campbell. We've done your website. Make yeah. sure to go to pinkprotest.org. We said yeah, earlier, Pink and uh, cool. on her website, Disgrace Campbell, which is where she's going to tell you where she can perform, and you can hear all of that great stuff as well, guys. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do subscribe, drop us a comment, and tell your friends about it, and find us on social media. We just started social media, guys. Wow. Uh, we're on Instagram, Almost Famous, the podcast, and Twitter. Pod Almost Famous. Until next time, guys, thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.